Good afternoon, everybody. This is Corey Hepler for the Crazy Monkey Inc. podcast, and I am here yet again with Jared Gifford, writer and creator of Darum, Captain of the Stars. How are you, Jared? Doing good. That is awesome. Now, we've got a whole new lineup of projects that we got to talk about, and I want to touch on some that we didn't really get to touch on last podcast, so is there... Do you want to touch on these right now? Well, um, we still got the Monsters on the Run number two Kickstarter still running. Please support that if you can. Um, any, every little bit helps. It, we have a Kickstarter uh, goal of 500. We have already just barely made it past the halfway mark. I mean, you know, just tell your friends about it, tell people about it. I mean, this is something worth supporting. I mean, uh, the creator, Mark Swan, he has most likely impacted your childhood, whether you whether you un- understand it or not. Yeah. Because this guy has been in animation for, you know, since the late 70s. I mean, you, this is how impactful the guy is. The guy, the guy has worked for... Uh, Don Blue Studios. He's worked on television for stuff like Thunder the Barbarian. He's worked for Disney. He's worked for Warner Brothers. I mean, this guy has done most animations that you would know as a kid. I mean, this this guy has done layouts and backgrounds for like The American Tale. Um, he's done it for uh, Land Before Time, Rockadoodle, All Dogs Go to Heaven. He's he's done he he did storyboards for a Goofy movie for Space Jam. I mean, this guy has most likely affected your childhoods. Okay, whether you grew up in the eighties, you grew up in the nineties, hell, even if you're a two thousands kid and you just had cool parents who were showing you this stuff, this guy's been a part of your childhood. It's, so, Monsters on the Run number two definitely worth supporting. This is Mark Swan's take on basically your classic uh, horror movie monsters, but he's doing it in a way that that kids will enjoy. Nice. Now, is there any type of background that you have, like a backstory as to what Monsters on the Run is about? Um, well, um, I will tell you what's already been revealed, which is in issue one. Okay. So, for those who haven't read issue one, there's spoilers in this, but... Basically, what you have is a group of, like, old classic monsters, like you have your vampire, your Frankenstein, your wolfman, your mummy, your evil scientist, you know. Um, So, they've actually been out living on this island, because what happened was, um, when society just sort of started getting to the point where they were rejecting monsters, they just went, went and go and live in peace, and they went on this island. Anyway, what happened was, during the course of World War II... What happened was, um, uh, shortly after it was over, um, there's this, uh, there's a sorcerer's name is, uh, um, whose name is Crumb, um, and, uh, he basically takes some soldiers in with him, and he basically wants to capture these monsters, because what makes a better fighting force than a bunch of monsters? Okay. Um... And, and, and uh, what happens is, um, throughout the course of the story, from what uh, Marx wanted to said in interviews, and I know I can say this because it's now out there, 
is basically the whole idea of the story is that the families are going to get broken up and they're going to have to go their separate ways for a while but then what happens is they're going to have all these separate adventures throughout the courses of the issues and then they're finally going to meet each other at the end nice a yeah, very good family story but it's very much in the vein of the stuff he's done you know I mean think about it I mean that's that's like almost every Don Bluth movie you've ever seen pretty much that, that's that's many Disney movies that we've seen and, and and you know and, and Warner Brothers has even done stuff like that this is true now aside from that which is an amazing project and I can't wait yeah. to get Monsters on the Run number two because yeah. I'm excited to see what happens oh yeah no this uh, I said as I said this one is definitely worth supporting exactly I want to touch on this furious book that's supposed to be coming out uh-huh. I don't want to give too much away because it's still in the works. Just yeah. maybe touch a little bit about. Well, uh, about. well you know, the, well, most of the official stuff that people know it's out there. It's like um, because, like this, this, this one, and uh, you know, and I, and I talked to Brian about it, and I've even, uh, you know, and I've even read a lot of the interviews he's done. So, you know, the things we can talk about is that um, this is based after his his initial series that he did over at um, Dark Horse, which was just called Furious. Okay. And um, and that one, you know, is basically about a former child star who ends up getting superpowers and she wants to redeem herself because she used to be this horrible person. And what happens is, you know, you live and learn and all these bad stuff happens and then she basically has learned, okay, I'm a monster, I want to do better. But the problem is, is she realizes that, you know, with, 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 the, with the whole superpowers gig, the whole thing is, is that it's really hard, especially when, especially when you weren't such a good person be, before you had powers. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, she struggles a lot. She wants to be a better person. She actually wants to be sort of a symbol. Kind of like she, Redeemer Past. Yeah, she wants to redeem her past. She wants to be a symbol of basically, like, you know, um... Uh, of goodness and whatnot, like uh, like a beacon. Um, but the problem is, is once again, her. It, it's really hard for her because for many many years her life was destroying people. Uh, you know, uh, stepping on them, making sure that like like her career was always placed over everyone else's. I mean, she was a horrible person, <laughs> but now she wants. But no, but now she wants to do better. And most people usually, and, and, and I've heard Brian say this before, but I totally agree with it. It's like, in, in her case, like, most people usually, as a superhero, wear costumes and masks to protect the people that they love. Yeah. She does it because if they knew who she actually was, they, uh, you know, they, they, they would hate her. They would despise her. And they wouldn't take her as seriously. Well, uh, not only that, but they would, but they would, but but because she was one of those people that one of those, you know, I mean, everybody knows them. She was one of those celebrities. Like, I'm pretty sure you know a celebrity, I know a celebrity that we think is a douchebag. Exactly. That, that we that, that we see their lives and we're like, oh my god, I'm never going to be that way. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what I'm saying. If her identity gets revealed and she was one of those celebrities, uh, the, then then people are going to. Uh, the, the, yeah, then the people are just going to hate her. She'll be despised around the world. So technically, throughout this comic series, she's going to have to keep the identity up 
just so she can help protect others from who she used well, to be. Well, and that's something I find really intriguing. This is another reason why I like Brian Gale Glass as a writer. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Brian Gale Glass is kind of like like a mentor to me. Yeah. You know, I don't know if he knows it, but, you know, if he if he listens to these things, I I'm, I'm, don't mind saying that. It's like... It's like a lot of his writings helped inspire me, and that's why I write things like Darum the way I do, because I like the emphasis that he has on the characters and the character development, and I like to do the same thing with my stories. Yeah. Just now, you touch on a very, uh, a very amazing subject: people that inspire us to write. Yes. Now. I know I have people in my life that I've read and I thought, you know what, if I could just write as a fraction as how much as well as they write, I'd be phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Is there anybody that you've read that you're thought, you know what, if I could just tap into some of that, that would be amazing. Well, there's, you know, the problem is, like, especially when you're in the creative medium, there's so many great people in it. So many creative uh, creative giants. But I do want to start at the beginning with one guy. And I'm, I'm going to go through several of my other influences. But almost everybody in the comic history has to, has to, uh, has to acknowledge this guy, Jack Kirby. Oh, yes. Jack Kirby yeah. paved the way for so many creations. Um, one in particular that I absolutely mm. love to know, and even to this day, the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Him and Stan Lee mm-hmm. brought about the Fantastic Four mm-hmm. at a time where it was needed. Well, exactly, because um, especially at the time it came out, because it came out in the early 60s, and what happened was, especially throughout the 50s, because you had that, that whole problem that happened in 1954, that that psychologist... Who came out with the book uh, "Seduction of the Innocent"? Yeah, and and he was he was basically saying that that comic books were the reason for um, for juvenile delinquency, you know, and 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 he was was what I mean he was just slamming them hard, and and then what happened was then they developed what was known as the Comics Code Authority, and basically comic books couldn't have depictions of violence. But comic books couldn't have anything dealing with drugs. Comic books couldn't have any horror stories anymore. I mean, the whole thing was was the comics market in the fifties. You had three genres, three genres that were really only being done in the fifties. One was romance comics. The other was westerns, and then the last one was sci-fi. Those were the big things selling in the 50s because they were the ones that weren't considered controversial. Exactly. When what then, was also funny yeah. about those comics mm-hmm. is if you really dig deep into those comics and those subjects, those were actually some of the most controversial that brought up the most but questions. Had to, why are you writing? But they had to but they had to slip them in very subtly because Well, yeah, of course, or else they wouldn't the McCarthy, fly. This was the McCarthy era in the United States. And everybody was like seeing communists everywhere, and 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 and, and they were all worried that the youth were going to be corrupted. Oh, of course. Um, and so the problem was, is you couldn't do anything that was considered controversial. So basically, if you're going to do anything like that, you had to slip it in as subtly as possible so that no one would notice. Only those that actually looked for it. 
Um, and anyway, lo and behold, the 60s come around, and what happened was Stan Lee was actually considering quitting the business. He was, he, he was, he actually, he, he said, you know, I'm, I'm just tired of this. I wanted to find something else uh, because you know, comics were, weren't doing well at the time. And then, anyway, what happened was um, he, he talked to his wife about it, and she had said to him, Stan, why don't you do something you want to do? Just do one story, and then, uh, uh, and then, you know, Stanley decided, okay, why, why the hell not? I'll do exactly <laughs> what I want to do, and the worst thing happens is I'm doing westerns next week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then, anyway, he gets together with Jack Kirby, and Jack Kirby, I mean, he's one of those really awesome guys, because, I mean, he, I mean, Jack Kirby had been with comics since comics were a medium, because um, he, uh, he, as we know, helped, uh, him and Joe Simon helped create Captain America in the 1940s. Exactly. Um, and, yeah, and he was a big hero during World War II. And he was like uh, a status symbol yeah. for all of the army men to yeah. look towards. And he did. It was like their beacon of hope. Oh, yeah. And then he did a lot of crime comics in, in the late 1940s. He, and then and then he did a lot of the romance and westerns in the 50s. Yes, he did. He did. Uh, you know, he actually wrote it under a different pen name, but Jack Kirby did a lot of that stuff. He, he, he um, uh, sort of soldiered his way through it. The whole thing is, is like a lot of other people were quitting the industry. This is like how bad it was getting. Jack Kirby stuck it out. Anyway, Stanley gets together with Jack Kirby in the early 1960s, and then he, and then, and then, and then, what happened was um, Jack Kirby had actually already had a similar idea for the Fantastic Four because he had done, um, he'd done another comic. And God, I wish I remember the name. It's just like you can put on the spot so you forget these things. But, uh, but he had done another comic for DC. In the late 1950s, and it was about these uh, explorers who go into uh, different explorers that go into space, and, and uh, similar things happened to them like it did in the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Anyway, what happened was when Stan and, and Jack Kirby developed Fantastic Four together, basically then they came up with what was known as the Marvel Method. And for those that are not familiar with the Marvel Method, what that is is that basically uh, Stan Lee would give Jack Kirby a loose synopsis. And then Jack Kirby would draw all the pages for that. And then, once the pages were finished, then Stanley would come back and fill in all the word balloons. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and one of the things that most people can always say is like, I mean, it's like Jack Kirby brought the. Brought, and the cool thing about when Stanley and Jack Kirby worked together was. Jack Kirby brought those dynamic poses, all those all those wonderful bits of sort of classic artwork that just like he's just totally associated with comic books, especially nowadays. Um, and then um, what Stan Lee brought was Stan Lee had almost a very poetic way of speaking. It's like it's like you, you could tell. I mean, Stan Lee has even said this: is that Stan Lee loves words and he loves the sound of words. Yeah. And and the thing is, is that you can see that because it's like it's like you you hear the Marvel characters talking, especially in those um, especially in those earlier books. You know, it sounds like you know it almost sounds um, in a way almost like modern Shakespeare. Exactly because how they spoke. Was in a, it's, it's kind of in a poetic way. Yeah, exactly. It's like it wasn't. It wasn't it's exactly like Shakespeare. Right. They didn't talk like they were out of the out of the 15th century. But the way they talk, as I said, and that's why I said modern Shakespeare is basically it's like they spoke 
like like someone would nowadays, but they always spoke in a very eloquent way. Yeah. Like, they, 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 they spoke very proper. And we're not talking about proper as in they had to rhyme every damn word or every other sentence. No, no, no. And, and, when, I, and, and, when, I, and when I say poetry, I'm not even talking about that either. What I mean was is that the words had a flow to them. Yeah. It, 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 felt, it, it, it felt as if, you know, if you, if you were reading this stuff, you could see the drama. I mean, because it was in the pictures, it was in the words. It felt like you were watching a play. Yeah. But you were doing it through the comic book form. Okay. Now, when when you think of Stan Lee, and you hear the words Stan Lee, uh-huh. what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Um, you know, many things, but the first thing... Uh, and, and, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people say this is his signature phrase, Excelsior. <laughs> I, I, I hear I hear Stanley, and all I hear is Excelsior. <laughs> uh, that that's that's Stanley, but uh, but also very various other things. I mean, uh, I mean, the dude is an awesome salesman. It's like he knows how to sell a book. Yeah. Um, uh, the thing is, is he's a, he's a very bombastic guy. I think that's a big key word right there for it, it really Stanley. Is just very it, bombastic. That's his personality, basically, which is a yeah. great personality. Exactly. And then and you know and then uh, and then you know and then uh, and then like and then and, and then like um, uh, but, but then it was kind of different for Jack Kirby because because uh, I said I love and respect Jack Kirby as well, but he I would describe him in a different way. Like I would consider like. Um, his images were like very powerful, yeah, um, and very dynamic because he was always having stuff happen. Like, like you know, there was like big explosions, and people were always having these different kinds of cool-looking poses. Because everything was magnetic to him. Yeah, exactly. Um, and um, and so um, and so that's you know. Um, and so that's the way I would describe each of them. Like you know, uh, Stanley, I described as bombastic. Jack Kirby, I would describe as very powerful. Yeah, and so that combination of a team yeah. really worked well. Exactly. And the thing is, is you know, and a lot of people, you know, I mean, it's sad, but you get some people, especially nowadays, like, oh well, I should I care about that? That's old comics. I don't, I don't care about old stuff. But what they don't realize is because they got to do their history. Because the thing is, I mean. I'll admit, years ago I didn't even know who Stanley or Jack Kirby was, but I did the proper research. Because what happened was, back when I was a young teenager, I used to like guys because I mean this was just was my generation. I grew up with guys like Todd McFarlane, Eric Larson, Jim Valentino, Jim Lee. Uh, you know, all the guys who started Image. Yeah. Uh, you know, Rob Blackfeld. Uh, yeah. Just anybody who started Image, it's like those were the guys I grew up with. But then I saw what their influences were. And I was like, okay, and then I went back a little further and went back a little further. It's like, let's see, that these guys were inspired by guys like, like Len Wine, like Dennis O'Neill, um, uh, and, and, then, uh, and then I saw what their influences were, and I was like, it, but eventually it led me back to guys like Stanley and Jack Kirby. And, 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 and I was like, okay, well, what's the big deal with these guys? Exactly. But then I read the stuff, uh-huh. and then this whole thing. So I don't give a crap who you are. You go back and you actually read that stuff and you see the pictures and you see the words. Um, most of it's pretty timeless. Yeah, I mean, here's the whole thing. You're never going to hit home runs 100% out of the park. Yes, there were some stuff that was very much steeped in its time period. Exactly. But, 
But if you look at the majority of work that Jack Kirby was coming out with, and and and, and just and, and the amount of stuff that Stan Lee was coming out with, the whole thing is is most of that's still pretty timeless to this day. You you see that, and it's like it was dealing with issues that people still struggle with nowadays. I mean, when they created the X Men, that dealt with bigotry, mm-hmm. and we are still dealing with bigotry nowadays. Yeah, and and alienation. I mean, I know that yeah. sounds like a really funny word to say. For the X-Men, because of obviously there were aliens and mutants and stuff like that, but it really did deal with alienation from society. They were shut out and shunned because they were different. Exactly. That's the whole thing, is that basically... Many people can identify with the X-Men because one because of how, if, if they feel like an outsider in any way. Because basically, the X-Men was a metaphor for bigotry, and it was basically it's like it's like if you um, if you are maybe part of a certain religion uh, that most people don't like, then you might identify with the X-Men that way because exactly. you're shunned shunned because of that. If you're gay, you might feel shunned by society that way, and so you would identify with the X-Men that way. Maybe if you're, maybe if you're a, uh, maybe if you're a person who's sort of like the black sheep in your family, yeah, and um, and you feel like nobody in your family gets you. Maybe you can identify with the X-Men that way. And there were so many characters, even when the Uncanny X-Men came out, yeah. you could pick a handful mm-hmm. that were that came from out of that. Um, Professor Xavier's School for Mutants. Yeah, that were runaways. They were outsiders. They felt outcasts, black sheep. They they didn't fit in society, so they wanted to find a society to fit into. Exactly, and uh, that's that's the whole thing. Is that uh, I'm saying? But if you ever felt marginalized in any way, or you ever felt like like maybe like 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 uh, like maybe you were shunned. That was that 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 those were the usually the people who were fans of X Men. I mean, I know that me growing up being an autistic kid, you know, it wasn't exactly easy, and so I identified with the X Men and the fact that you know I I mean I used to get when I was in school I used to get picked on on a daily basis. Yeah. And and I could identify with the X Men that way. It's like well I felt like an outsider. I feel like people hate me because they fear me. Um. You know, because because they don't like what's or or because they simply don't like what's different, or they don't want to try to understand yeah. why you're different, yeah, and embrace that difference. They just want to shun it and make fun of it. Yeah, exactly. And and that's what I'm saying is like, and that's how most people can identify with with X Men in one way or the other. I mean, uh, I I don't know, but I would imagine that maybe it's a similar story with you and why you identify with the X Men. The reason I identify with the X Men so much is because, um, well, there are many different reasons. Uh, Three of the prominent ones is uh, a my uh, my birth mom left me when I was six years old, and then it just was a downhill slope of hell, and that I had to go mm-hmm. through and realize, okay, I don't necessarily need her in my life to feel mm-hmm. important. Yeah. Um, also, I grew up with epilepsy, yeah. with seizures, and seizing in school, and seizing at home, or seizing like at work. That was very embarrassing for me. Yeah. And I didn't feel that anybody could relate to me because nobody else was having a seizure in front of me, so I felt like an outcast. Yeah. So on top on top of all that, because it was so much fun, <laughs> because God was like, you know what? You don't have enough. We're going to pile on the rocks. 
There we go. But I found out I had Tourette's. Yeah. And I think that above all else, I could deal with make 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 fun of my seizures. I could be made fun of the fact that I had a single parent for a little while and that my mom yeah. could give us a shit about me. But when I found out that I had Tourette's and it started to emphasize itself and promenade itself more, it really hit home. For two reasons. A, I am an outsider. And B, that's okay. Well, and, uh, and and you can actually ask me the same question afterwards, but I do actually have a follow-up question to that. Is okay. that um, then uh, by these measures, and I already know the answers, but the audience doesn't know the answers, but who's your favorite X-Men characters, and why do you identify with them? Do you want villain and superhero? Um, let's start with superhero because I know there. I know there's one in particular. You keep asking for this movie. Come on, you, you got to tell the audience your favorite X Men, and I know who it is. Are you talking about Wolverine? No. Um, but Wolverine's a good one too. Uh, no, 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 no. Gambit. Oh, come on, man! You know you do. You told me you wish he had a movie, and they haven't come out with a movie for him yet. Oh, you're talking about Bishop. Yes, yes, Bishop. I come on, we were just Bishop. talking about him the other day. That's right. Yes, I absolutely love Bishop. Yeah. Oh, he could kick so much ass. He could kick my ass, and I'd have a smile on my face. Okay, and and, and then once again, the follow up to that. Okay, we we now know that Bishop's one of your favorite characters. Why do you identify with Bishop? The reason I identify with Bishop so much is because, A, um, aside from the fact that he's a time cop that can travel through time and space and save people, also is the reason that because he's also he also feels like an outsider. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what time he jumps through, he always feels like, okay, well, nobody's going to understand or get me, so I have to fight through this societal bigotry. But not only was the fact that Bishop was black, but also he came from a different alternate dimension where everything that he did was normal, but because he time-jumped because he was a cop and he was trying to help the universe stay in balance by arresting or eradicating these other mutants, Mm -hmm. people thought he was loony. They're like, why the hell don't you just go back to where he came from Mm -hmm. and let us handle with the problem? Oh, yeah. Well, and it's, it's got to be especially hard because of the fact that he did come from the future. Yeah. is, uh, And I would assume that Cable had a similar problem, but the whole thing is, he like, did. he knows what's coming in the future. Yeah, he, Cable knows. Because he's... Well, and I'm saying, like, even Bishop, too. And that's what I'm saying. That's why I think I have similar problems. But, like, but Bishop, and I, I would assume that this is another reason why it was hard for him and why a lot of people looked at him as a loony, was because he knew what was coming in the future. Because he came from a bleak future. Yeah. Um, but the other people didn't know that was because his presence coming back in time affected the timeline. So of course, uh, of course, when the bad thing didn't come about, of course he looked like a loony because yeah. it didn't happen. Exactly. Most people usually will not acknowledge a thing until it's right in front of their face. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's the whole thing. But if you've prevented it from even happening, then it's not going to happen. And that's why I'm sure it was hard for Bishop, because then most of the time he ended up looking like a loony, because then he'd come back and he'll prevent these things so that they didn't happen. And they're like, oh, well, 
We're like, well, how will we know you're telling the truth anyway? Because this this thing didn't happen. Yeah, then he has to almost like soapbox himself and say, well, the reason it didn't happen is because I prevented it from happening, you jackass. Yeah, uh, uh, but I'm saying that's got to be very hard. But yeah, um, so um, if I'm getting right what you're saying, one of the reasons why um, you identified with Bishop was because he was mostly an outsider and he usually would do things on his own. And he usually felt like he was the uh, only one that truly understood. Exactly. And and I'm and I'm guessing that, uh, especially considering the uh, the background that you've given us on yourself, that yeah. uh, that I would assume that most of your life you've kind of felt like an outsider, and you probably felt like you've usually been alone in most of your theories on things. Exactly. And another reason why I understand Bishop to a point is because there are. Tons of times, even throughout now, I'll warn people, you don't want to do that. It's mm-hmm. going to end badly for you. Mm-hmm. And it's not because I have experience, but I can just kind of in a foresight see what's going to happen. And I see the worst possibility. And when it does happen, and then they come and complain to me about mm-hmm. about it, I just go back like, I warned you. I told you something bad might happen. You didn't listen to me. And now you have to suffer the consequences. Had you listened to my warning, that wouldn't have happened. Uh, Which yeah. is the same thing as Bishop. He he was sent from the future to warn people of something that was going to happen. They didn't believe him. It happened. And then he's throwing his hands up in the air and be like, I told you. Yeah. I told you it was going to happen. You thought it was a fucking loon. And it happened. Yeah. And now you're coming crying to me. Asking why, and now I don't feel bad for you. And that's what I'm saying. So, and, and, and now, <laughs> now I totally understand. I said why you identify with the character of Bishop and why he's actually one of your favorite characters. And as I said, in the spirit of what I told you before, you could, you, you know, you, you can, you can ask me the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, what is one of the X Men, or it doesn't even have to be the X Men. It can just be any. Any universe. Well, I don't mind doing the X Men because I was I, I actually already already had someone in mind for that, and, and it was somebody I grew up with as a kid, and I still like today. Okay, well, uh, sure. Uh, one, of the more, one of the more underused characters, but I've always been a big fan of Nightcrawler. Ooh, Nightcrawler. Yeah. Oh yeah, I always liked Nightcrawler because he was kind of like he was the emotional support. Um, he um. He was actually one of the more humble ones. He really was. Yeah, and uh, and then and then he was kind of the glue that kind of helped keep the group together. Yeah, um, he would actually like separate fights and like be the moderator in between yeah. them, almost kicking each other's asses in a way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure you're already seeing the parallels between why I like him. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly, because with you, you in a way, you just want peace. Yeah. You don't want this guy to fight. You don't want this guy to fight or argue. <laughs> you just want some fucking peace at the end of the day. <laughs> exactly. And it's not that hard of a thing to ask, no. but it comes so very rarely. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and that's what I'm saying. And I, that's why another reason why I can identify with Nightcrawler, you know, is that because uh, I've always been that kind of person as well. Is that I've always been, I've always been the kind of person that's just like, listen, okay, I don't want any unnecessary fights. It's like, if I have to fight, I will. But the whole thing is, if we can resolve this thing peacefully, let's resolve it peacefully. Because what's the point? 
and fighting if we don't have to. And, and the funny thing is, is I always would identify with Nightcrawler because he was like that, you know? Exactly. Um, and, 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 and that's what I'm saying. Is, uh, so that's another reason why I was able to identify with him as a character. Um, but, but, you know, it's funny. Is I've always liked either characters that were either inspirational or characters that were peacemakers. Yeah. Whereas me, I always went for the ones that fought for the underdog. The ones that had had the tragedy happen to them, and then they wanted to make damn sure that it didn't happen to somebody else. So they almost took on this anti-hero, vigilante type of well, I always noticed. Well, I always noticed that there's a theme with most of your characters. Um, even if even if it's somebody, say like Joe, who's who's even got a girlfriend. But the thing is, all your characters seem to have the same trait, and I'm pretty sure, um, like myself, and how a lot of my writings, uh, you know, show my personality. It's like, because I know Darum is like an extension of me. I, I think that I, you know, and I see this at least in your comic, Joe is an extension of you. Most of your characters seem to have this whole theme that usually, usually they're, they're loners. Yeah. Usually, usually they don't seem to trust a whole lot of people. And, you know, and in a way, that is me. Yeah. Because, I hate to say it, but there are very, very few people in my life that I trust. Not even halfway, but just trust. Yeah. And um, I'm not trying to rub elbows or anything like that or give kudos to anybody, but you mm-hmm. are actually one of the ones that I trust with my life. Yeah. That I know that if something went down and you knew that you could do something to help, you would drop everything to make sure that that shit was taken care of. And that's vice versa. Oh, and one, one thing I would say is, uh, one of the, one of the, uh, and, I, and yeah, I can return the compliment, is that one, one of the things that, that you helped me with, uh, and, and, and I totally appreciate you for, is the fact that you, um, you always help, you always help keep me, uh, motivated. Uh, the thing is, is that, uh, you know, many times I'll get like this really awesome idea. I'll, I'll get typing it up and everything, and then about when I'm when I'm getting near the end, uh, I'm starting to think, oh, maybe I want to quit it. You know, yeah. maybe I want to quit it. And then, and then, no, and then, and then you're always constantly saying this to me. You know, and most other people would probably say you were kissing my ass, but I don't think of it that way. The whole thing is, you're always saying, oh, Jared, you know, it's like this, this, this stuff you're coming up with is awesome. I want to see this. I want to see this. And the fact that you keep saying you want to see it is motivation enough for me to go and say, okay, I'm going to finish this story. Exactly. And the funny thing is, it's not that I am trying to kiss your ass. It's it's for two reasons. A, because you're an amazing writer. Uh-huh. You're a fantastic writer. And I don't just say that because you're my friend. You really are an amazing writer. And it, it shows. It really does. And B, I believed in you from day one. When we started writing our very first stories, mm-hmm. no matter how fucking bizarre they were, because they were weird, <laughs> I always believed in in your ideas and what you had to bring to the table. And I thought, if you could just get that and do that on your own, you would blow up like fucking crazy. And you uh, did. Uh, and, and I am proud of you. Uh, and that's what I'm saying. And that's, uh, and, and, and that's what well, like I said, and I'd return the compliment, you know, said that... The thing is, is, I'm glad we're in this together. I'm glad we're both, uh, you know, working on our stories and everything. And, and as I said, I mean, uh, but but one of the things I was talking about with writing as well is yeah. the fact that um, 
is that, and I'm sure like Al, uh, that most writers can tell you this. I mean, I say I can't speak for everybody, but most writers, at least that I know, and I can say this for myself, is that is that you know um, um, our characters that we create are usually extensions of ourselves. Exactly. And they usually have traits that usually we have, or or they have traits that we feel we lack. Mm-hmm. Because I know with Joe, there are quite a few traits that I wish I had. Mm-hmm. I wish I was 280 pounds of fucking muscle. But I'm not. Um, I wish that I had the keen sensibility to foresee what's going to happen, mm-hmm. you know, in certain events. And I, I don't. I wish that, you know, I could fight alongside some really great people and know at the end of the day that it was worth it. But I'm not in a war, so I mean, you know, <laughs> that's whatever. Oh, uh, no, that's fine. <laughs> and, uh, and then another thing I want to segue into, uh, and just because, uh, just because you know, I, I definitely want to give kudos out to the other people who work at Crazy Monkey Inc. as well. Exactly. Um, uh, you know, or, you know, well, like, what about you? Like, who, who do you feel, like, like who are some... Who are, who, are, who are some people that you've gotten to know and like that, that are also in our same company with us? I'm a big fan, and I'm not just saying this because their comic is awesome. <laughs> okay, I am saying it because their comic is awesome. Fuck it. <laughs> um, Amy Homer. Yeah. Her Zodiac series is awesome. It's funny. It's catchy. It's cute. It's amazing. Yes. It's cute. <laughs> Said that twice. Um, but she has a way of drawing characters and bringing the different personalities out that the some writers, you know, they draw the same typecast for each character, and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm basically reading the same fucking character with every... This is boring. But she knows how to draw those personalities out of those different characters, mm-hmm. and it just makes the story so much better. Oh, yeah. Well, and then uh, what I also like specific to how she does the characters is because they're based on signs of the Zodiac, interestingly enough, one of the things she does is she tries to stay true to those Zodiac characteristics. She does. Aries is very much an Aries. Yeah. Sagittarius is very much a Sagittarius. And the same thing, Leo is very much a Leo. Mm-hmm. And I really, I really do dig the story of Zodiac because... It's basically a bunch of people coming together, trying to get back what was stolen and sacred to them, uh, which was the Zodiac Stone. But it's done in a comedic way. Yeah, but it's done in a comedic way, and you can tell that it's a righteous cause as to why they're fighting. They're just not doing it like, oh no, we have to catch some balls! (laughs) No, it's... (laughs) This is certainly not Dragon Ball Z. This is definitely not Dragon Ball Z. It has nothing to do with that. However, no disrespect to Dragon Ball Z. Exactly, because <laughs> Dragon Ball Z is friggin' amazing. If you haven't already picked up Zodiac 1 and 2, I urge you like freaking crazy to do so. It's an amazing manga-stylized comic that is going to blow your socks off. Oh, yeah. And, and like I said, and... Uh... Uh, you know, I've already talked about certain people that I admire in the company. Like I said, I, I, I love the fact that we have Brian Gale Glassman is doing Furious. Exactly. I, I love the fact that we have Mark Swan. Mark Swan's a big part of my childhood. Mm-hmm. And he's such an awesome, humble guy. Um, but another person I want to give a shout-out to, and, you know, 
I'm not saying this just because he's the boss. Right. No, but, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I'm just but, kidding. But uh, you're good. But, uh, <laughs> but no, I want to give a personal shout out to, 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 to Gabriel Ramirez, or as we know him as, is Raz. You know, the, the thing is, Raz is an awesome guy. Um, such, such, such a, such, such a, you know, really excited about the industry. Really good at what he does. And the dude has an eyeball for talent. And he has a really good heart, too. And he's not yeah. just bringing out yeah. comics because that's what he wants to do. Yeah. He truly believes that comics can touch people's lives. Well, and exactly. Here's the whole thing. Is, you know, and, and I mean, here's the whole thing. He's like, when I met him, he could have easily just told me, it's like, listen, Jared, that's a great concept. Go ship it to somebody else. Yeah, go fuck yourself. And, yeah, he, he could have told me, yeah, he could have easily said that, but he didn't. Yeah. The whole thing was, he got intrigued, he thought it was awesome, and so he basically said, you know, he basically told me, uh, like, one of, the, one of the first things he told me was like, oh, great, when you can get, when can you get a script out to me? Yeah. And, and then, and then I, yeah, then I told him, I, 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 I told him, okay, give me a few weeks, and I'll give you one of the best scripts you ever read. Exactly. And yeah. almost... Four issues deep. Yeah. You're in this, yeah. and you have blown his mind with every comic issue after number one. And, and well, it just keeps getting better. And well, like I said, I wouldn't be able to do what I do if he hadn't believed in me. Exactly. So I got to give him the proper, you know, kudos, the proper props. The whole thing is, is that if Raz had not, uh, if Raz had, Raz had not encouraged my talent and had not told me to send him in that script, you would not be seeing any issues of Darum. Exactly. So I want to, uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank Raz for that. You know, Raz, I thank you. Uh, you know, I, you know, I don't, you know, you know, I didn't, you know, when you took me in, I didn't even think I deserved it. So the whole <laughs> thing is, I totally need to thank you for believing in some annoying kid who kept talking your ear off. <laughs> and... I'm also going to give props to the boss because he didn't have to take my taxicab Joe script on. No. You know, and when I wrote it, I thought, well, no one's going to fucking like this piece of shit. <laughs> but when I got him the first couple of pages, he, like, jumped on board. He was like, holy shit, let's see this to the end. Yeah. And bam, freaking May rolled around and taxicab Joe number one came out and freaking he was blown away at how well... It came out and how well Gasper and Mike Montalvo made it come to life. Exactly. And it's that push and that comic that came out that got me to continue writing. And now they're working on number two of Taxi Cab Joe. I just got page seven. And I got to tell you, if it hadn't been for Raz saying, yes, I'll take you on, I'd still just be writing poetry and be like, I don't know what to do with my life. Yeah. So big props to Raz like fucking crazy because if it weren't for the humblest of guys that I've ever met in Raz, neither you or I would ever have a shot being in this industry. Exactly. The whole thing is, it's like, you know, and I know he'll probably deny something down because he's such a humble guy. Well, he really is. But, really uh, is. but the thing is, there would be no Crazy Monkey Inc. without Gabriel Ramirez. Exactly. So, like we've said before... Big fat props to you, Raz, because you are one of the best bosses I have ever worked for. And I say that from the bottom of my heart because you are a fantastic person 
you believe in what's going on with comics, you are so enthusiastic, it's crazy amazing, and I hope to have even more years working under Crazy Monkey Inc. belt with you because you have given both Jared and I a voice to where at first it was just words. And I could and I could never thank you enough for this opportunity. I, I think it's a sentiment we all share. Exactly. <laughs> uh, for sure, for sure. Um, well, anyway, I think we're kind of winding down now. Um, do you know of any new announcements, any new things that are coming up before we sign off? I do have one announcement, and it was supposed to be under wraps, but I'm going to throw it out here anyway because you don't even know about this. Oh. I was going to get with the director of Red Rock Canyon School, and they're looking for um, mediums to exploit, and I was going to go in there and ask them if I could do um, classes on how to make comics with some of their students because they draw and write very well and I was going to see teach it oh teach, teaching about the teaching the, about the comic book writing process the comic book writing process to the troubled teens and as soon as they got good enough mm-hmm. and they got me a decent sized script yeah and like maybe like an 8 to 10 pager I would fund the project for them get it taken care of and make sure that their names were on the book and that they got a copy of it. Mm-hmm. And it might not be this year. It might be sometime in the future um, next year. But it's something that I want creators that are coming up like like we were. Mm-hmm. Kind of to have an avenue. Kind of yeah. say, okay, if I can get this out and someone believes in me, maybe I have something to live for. Because there's a lot of them that don't have anything to live for. And if I were to say, okay... I have some. I have an idea for you. Get me some sketches taken care of. Get me a script. I'll teach you how to write a script. Mm-hmm. You already know how to draw. I'll teach you how to write a script. I'll teach you how to write panels, mm-hmm. what a page is, how to properly title, all the necessities of a comic. Uh-huh. And they grasp onto that and they do well. I would have no problem fronting the money to make sure that their comic that they came out with, that they wrote up came out and that they got a copy of it yeah and so i uh, i think that that can happen i think that that is very much a thing that can happen and can inspire them to maybe be the next up-and-coming comic writers like us for the next generation see and i think that's actually an amazing idea uh and and it's also i think a way of giving back to the community exactly because the the community has given us so much that just giving what we can back, it, it really does tell a lot. Exactly. Uh, and, and I think any way you can help, I, I think that's a good cause to support, and, and I'm fully behind it. Okay. Um, is there anything else? Um, as far as I know, um, uh, not at the moment. Uh, oh, we are going to be having our first webcomic at the end of the month. Yes. Yes, we are. And it's a page a week, I believe, until it's 24 weeks, and then the actual webcomic is going to come out that you can buy on the Crazy Monkey Inc. webpage, and it's going to be, I believe, it's a webcomic, um, I believe every 24 weeks it's going to cycle through, and it's going to be a new webcomic every time. Yeah, um, 
And that's it. And that's actually going to start at the end of the month. Exactly. And you're going to get a page a week of the webcomic until it hits 24, and then you're going to get a, an opportunity to buy the full webcomic on the Crazy Monkey Inc. page. Yeah, and, and that'll be awesome. Um, anyway, uh, as far as that goes, I think we've uh, touched bases on everything else. Um, you know, um, I, I, I you know I'm going to throw this out there again as I do in most podcasts at the moment. Is uh, you know, Darren number four kicks off for that is in July. Yes, watch out for it. I'm super excited for yeah. it myself. And uh, with that, I uh, I think we're done. We can uh, wish everyone a fine day, a fine night. Um, you know, and uh, you know, just keep on listening to us. Keep on reading the books. You know, we totally appreciate the support. Exactly. As Bill and Ted always say, be excellent to each other. Exactly. Have a good night.